Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 61 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that I'm able to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any question or suggestion, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delving into Islam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible inshallah uh, now this podcast is for everyone whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam or whether you are studying Islam or whether you uh, are thinking about becoming a Muslim or whether you just became a Muslim or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about the religion of Islam this podcast is for you inshallah and with that being said let's get right into today's topic topic. And in today's topic, we will continue talking about the immigration. I mean, we talked, you know, we, we gave a little bit of introduction last in last episode about the immigration from Mecca to Medina. And we know that, you know, th this event is significant, very significant in the Islamic history, because, you know, even our calendar starts, you know, uh, from the immigration uh, to Medina. And we, we talked, you know, uh, that some of the companions, some of the, the, uh, the immigrants, the Muhajirun or the Muhajirin, they uh, little one by one or family by family started, you know, immigrating from Mecca to Medina. And that will be a turning point in the Islamic history in, in, in for the Muslims. This is going to be a, a massive turning point because, inshallah, after emigrating, uh, Muslims will, uh, uh, you know, rise and they, uh, the Islamic uh, government, if you want to say, will flourish and, you know, will expand. We'll talk about that in detail. But for now, let's talk about the actual emigration of the Prophet ﷺ himself. Now, in Mecca... Every adult Muslim at that point emigrated to Medina. Who was left was uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr Siddiq, his best friend. These two were the only adult uh, Muslims left in Mecca. So Abu Bakr goes to our Prophet ﷺ and asks him, O oh, Prophet of Allah, when am I going to emigrate? You know, Abu Bakr is just asking. So the Prophet ﷺ responds and says, You will emigrate when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives permission. Now, that technically meant that he will emigrate with the Prophet. ﷺ. Because our Prophet ﷺ cannot do anything without taking permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he had to wait for the permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to emigrate. So that meant that he is going to emigrate with Abu Bakr Siddiq. And Abu Bakr was extremely happy. He went he went home and he started preparing two camels, you know, feeding them and all these things, you know, uh, fattening them to make them, you know, be able to uh, uh, bear the, the journey from Mecca to Medina. And he was getting them ready and they were all waiting for uh, Allah's permission, you know, for the emigration to take place. And... Uh, one day, the Prophet ﷺ comes to Abu Bakr's uh, uh, house, uh, you know, uh, and and he tells him the permission has been given by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We should start the process of the emigration, and uh, Aisha, which is you know later on becomes the beloved wife of the Prophet ﷺ, she actually narrates and she says that she uh, up until this point. 
she never believed that someone could actually cry from happiness. So she never seen someone actually crying from happiness. So she thought it was like a myth or something, right? But then when she saw her father's reaction, Abu Bakr's reaction to the Prophet's news, that they are given the permission to emigrate, he started crying from happiness. He started crying so hard from happiness. And this is when you know, was the first time for Aisha to see someone actually crying for happiness. She narrates that before that incident, before that situation, she never believed that people could actually cry from happiness until she saw her own father crying from happiness. Now, uh, Abu Bakr gave uh, gave the, the camel to the Prophet ﷺ, but the Prophet ﷺ actually did not want to take it unless he paid the full amount of of the of the camel. And it shows you another aspect that the Prophet ﷺ does not ever use or abuse his authority as the prophet of Allah because he could have been like yeah you know what this is for the cause I'll take it uh, you know for free no the prophet said I'm not taking it I'm not gonna ride on this camel until I pay you the full amount and Abu Bakr refused and he said no this is a gift and the prophet uh, refused again and again and then you know uh, eventually the Prophet ﷺ, of course, uh, paid Abu Bakr. And it, again, it shows you that. It shows you the friendship, number one, that Abu Bakr was not even thinking about something like this. Abu Bakr was known to be extremely generous. Extremely generous, you know, uh, for the sake of Islam, for the sake of, you know, the cause of Islam. And uh, uh, and the Prophet ﷺ has this mannerisms, you know. The Prophet ﷺ, he had those mannerisms of not... You know, taking advantage of his authority or of his position as the leader of the Muslims at the time, right? Now, Abu Bakr had two daughters, Aisha, which, you know, she becomes the wife of the Prophet, and he had Asma, her older sister. And uh, basically, his older daughter, Asma, was packing food for the Prophet and her father, you know, for the journey, you know, uh, in a piece of cloth. So she, you know, put, put gathering all the food, you know, bread, whatever you want to put in a, in a piece of cloth. But then, because she 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 put a lot of food, you know, because again, it's a long journey, uh, that, that she could not wrap that cloth like it was just it gotten widened, and she couldn't wrap it uh, on itself. So she needed something to wrap the food and and wrap the cloth, you know, so the food wouldn't drop from that cloth. And then she used her own belt. She cut it in half. She took one half and tied it, you know. Uh, tied the food with it inside the cloth and then you know she used the other uh, half uh, you know to tie her dress as a belt and since actually that day she was called that an-nitaqayn or the one with the two belts that was her nickname because of that incident that an-nitaqayn or the one with the two belts now here's an interesting thing it is narrated that when Abu Bakr a Siddiq, right, the, the, the friend of the Prophet ﷺ, accepted Islam, he had around 40,000 dirhams, right? He had around 40,000 dirhams. And by the time of the emigration, he had only 5,000 dirhams. Now, where did the 35,000 dirhams go? He spent it all for the sake of Islam, to help Muslims, to help the Islamic cause, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like he freed Bilal. He used to free a lot of slaves. You know, helping the poor from the Muslims. You know, fighting for the Muslims, you know, financially. Can you imagine? 
that he lost almost all of his again we don't call it lost anything you pay for the sake of allah is not lost anything you pay for the sake of allah is never lost but we're saying like he gave up you know his wealth for the sake of allah and he only had 5000 out of 40000 dirhams now before the uh, the incident before the actual emigration on a Sunday night because we all know that the emigration took place on a Monday. Remember, the Prophet was born on a Monday. The emigration also took place on a Monday, and he passed away on a Monday. That's why the Monday is such a blessed day, not as blessed as Friday, of course, but it is a blessed day in Islam because of these things, right? Now, the pagans of Mecca had a secret meeting because they felt. That the Prophet ﷺ is about to leave. And they don't want to allow him to leave. Because once he leaves, that means that's it. He's going to spread Islam. That's that's it. There is no turning back. You know, He's going to go out of their reach. They cannot reach him anymore. Because once he goes out of their reach, he'll be able to spread Islam. You know, Islam will flourish. And they don't want this to happen. So they wanted to act now. They said, we need to act right now. What are we going to do? So, you know, a lot of people... Uh, uh, gathered in that meeting, you know, people from every tribe, every single tribe of Mecca at the time sent, you know, an emissary or sent, you know, like an ambassador to speak on their behalf, right? And then among the the the, the group, there was a man that they couldn't recognize in that meeting, and uh, you know, he was asked to join, and he just introduced himself as a leader from you know a tribe that was outside of Mecca. But you know what? It's 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 it's. Uh, it, the more the merrier right so they they took him in they said you know what whatever uh, the help or the ideas we could get we'll use now here's the thing you have to understand that only the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and uh, and uh, abu bakr were the only two adults i think ali ali ibn abi talib the cousin of the prophet sallam, was there but he was not an, an adult at the time so like the only two adults uh, Muslims, the only two adult, so the only two adult Muslims who left, who were left in Mecca, were the Prophet and Abu Bakr. So they have no help. There's no support coming, right? And again, they would never allow the Prophet to leave because it will be he will be a threat. They can't control him. They cannot. They cannot oppress him. They cannot, you know, control his preaching to Islam anymore if he leaves and lives in another city. So they started, you know, throwing some suggestions. Uh, one of the ideas was let's imprison him in a house, you know, like just turn a house into like a prison cell, you know, and keep him in there forever. But then that leader, you know, that, that unrecognized leader from the other tribe said, well, if you would do that, his words will still reach other places. You can't stop his message by just simply locking him up, right? So some said, okay, that's not working. Let's send him to exile. Right, like we want to just send him to into an exile, you know, far away from everybody else. And again, the same leader, the same guy from you know that far tribe, said, "Well, he'll manage to go back, you know. And when he goes back to his followers, they might even be stronger because you know they're gonna miss him. He's gonna look heroic. He's gonna be the symbol of hope when he comes back. So that option is still not good enough." Then Abu Jahl said, "Okay, let me say." What none of you wants to say then. Now he's about to tell them, let's just assassinate him. Let's kill him. Because again, we have to understand the Arab mentality at the time. Those people, the people of Mecca, had this like, you know, tribalism. They still had this, 
not honor, but it's like a custom. They cannot kill one of their own. But Abu Jahl was like, I know you all want to kill him, but none of you wants to say it, so I'm going to say it. Let's kill him. But we need to do this in a smart way. Now, that was Abu Jahl's idea. Let's send one man from every tribe. So when they all kill him, his blood will be on all of their hands or all of their swords. Which means not a sing- not one tribe will be blamed. All the tribes will be blamed. Now, you see, this is a very devious plan. You know, all of us will participate in killing him. Because what, what's going to happen is his own tribe, when they try to, you know, declare war on those who killed him, what's going to happen? If one person goes and kills him, okay, it's going to be a civil war. But if all the tribe killed him, they can't fight the entire city of Mecca. You know, they can't fight, they can't fight all the other tribes. So that was a very, you know, smart, uh, devious plan, right? And this will solve the issue of potential civil war. You know, because like we said, the Banu Hashim cannot declare war against the rest of the tribe. Banu Hashim is the tribe of the Prophet. You know. Now, that that guy, that unrecognizable guy, the, the, the leader of the far tribe said, that is the best plan. That is the best plan. And he encouraged people to, that, that guy started telling people, I think you guys should go with this plan. This plan makes the perfect, you know, perfect sense. It, it is the perfect plan. Now, this leader uh, of that far tribe was none other than Satan himself. He was Shaitan himself. And he transformed into a man to make sure that the message of Islam will stop at that point. Now, that also shows you how desperate Satan was. Remember when, you know, before when Satan started yelling and people heard him when they were asleep, uh, when, you know, this this uh, um, covenant took place between the Prophet ﷺ and the people of, of Medina, he yelled out loud. It was like a, a different shaitan, but now Satan is like getting desperate. If this guy leaves, the people, a lot of people will become Muslims. This is going to be a problem, you know. So uh, on the next day, on Monday, they chose one, like they said, one man from every tribe, and they all went with their swords, you know. Now, Angel Jibril came down to the Prophet ﷺ and told him the whole plan. Told him this is happening. And uh, told him the plot of, you know, the, the, the people of Mecca. And uh, he told him that, okay. Now, uh, he told him that he needs to leave. So he told him basically that he needs to leave now. Now, the group of assassins came and surrounded the house of the Prophet ﷺ, and then our Prophet ﷺ came outside of the house while reciting the chapter of Yasin, Surat Yasin, right? He was reciting the chapter of Yasin, and of course, Allah's miracle took place, where all the assassins, they were standing right in front of the house, and none of them saw the Prophet ﷺ. He was walking right in front of them. And none of them, as if there was a, a, a barrier that was placed in front of them that they could not see the Prophet ﷺ. And actually, this incident is mentioned in the chapter of Yasin. So the Prophet ﷺ was reciting this chapter while it was taking place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
we put a barrier in front of them, a barrier from behind them, and we covered their eyes, even though their eyes were open, we covered, we, we blinded them, and they cannot see anymore. They couldn't see the Prophet They could not uh, see him. Even the Prophet ﷺ came close to them and he got some dust, you know, from the road and he threw it on their heads. And that was actually a sign of humiliation. And they couldn't see or feel a thing as if he didn't exist. And the Prophet ﷺ kept on walking. And then, uh, you know, Ali ibn Abi Talib, uh, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, he was a teenager at the time. He took the, the Prophet's spot in his bed. So he slept in his bed just in case if they come in. Uh, they see someone, uh, you know, sleeping, so they would think it's the Prophet and you know they would think he's not going anywhere. He's just sleeping in his house, right? And uh, uh, and of course we know that Ali ibn Abi Talib was very brave. He did what he did, knowing that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will protect him, and Allah indeed did protect him. Now, in the middle of the night, our Prophet uh, went to Abu Bakr because this happened, you know, in the middle of the night. Went to Abu Bakr, and they both got on their camels. And made their way out of Mecca. And then when they were passing by the shops, uh, you know, at the outskirts of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ turned around and said in sadness, addressing Mecca, he said this, You are the most blessed land on earth and the most beloved to me. And if it were not for the fact that my people have expelled me, I would have never left you. Meaning, this I love. This is my home, and it is a. It's a blessed land. The Kaaba is there, you know. And if it wasn't for what my people are trying to do to me, and you know, persecuting me, and you know, trying to oppress the religion of Islam, I wouldn't have left. And this is exactly what Waraka, remember, the cousin of Khadija, his first wife, told him. Remember. When he first saw Jibreel for the first time before he became a prophet and he went to Waraka, the cousin of Khadija, and Waraka told him, You will be expelled, your own people will expel you. I wish I was I wish I had my health to help you because your people will expel you. And the Prophet was shocked. He's like, My people will expel me? Thirteen years ago this happened. And now the Prophet is seeing what Waraka said, you know, happening in real life. Now, instead of going straight to Medina, Abu Bakr and the Prophet ﷺ went into the opposite direction. And it shows you that they're smart because what happened is once the people realized, and they did realize that the person sleeping in, in, in the bed of the Prophet ﷺ is not actually the Prophet ﷺ, they're going to start chasing them. They're going to get fast horse, horses and they're going to just you know try to chase them and attack them because they don't want them to reach Medina, right? So the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr realized that this was going to happen. It shows you the, the, the intelligence of uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr Siddiq. So they went into the opposite direction. And then they stayed inside a cave. It's called the Cave of Thawr. Ghari Thawr. The Cave of Thawr for three days. So the, 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 the cave was uh, basically a crack inside of a mountain. So there was a crack inside of a mountain that formed that cave, right? So they stayed in that cave and for three days. And then during the three days, Abu Bakr's son, his name is Abdullah, uh, used to bring them food and water so they wouldn't have to leave the cave. And he would also watch the people of Mecca and listen to their conversations, what they're saying about his father, right? 
you know, are, are they able to trace them? Uh, did, they, did they have a clue where is the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr? And he would come and bring them the latest, you know, uh, updates from the people of Mecca. Now, um, there was another person by the name of Amr. Amr was actually a freed slave by Abu Bakr. So like we remember we said Abu Bakr used to spend all of his money on freeing slaves, uh, helping the poor of the Muslims. So Amr was a freed slave by Abu Bakr and he used to take uh, uh, flocks of sheep outside of Mecca. You know, he was a shepherd. There's no suspicion here, not at all. And he would just, you know, like, you know, uh, walk with the sheep and, 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 and so forth. But actually, his intention was to erase the footsteps of Abdullah. Now, look at the strategy. Look at this plan. The son of Abu Bakr used to leave Mecca to that cave to bring water and food to the Prophet and Abu Bakr. And he used to go back. Amir used to go, after he comes back, used to go with a flock of sheep. So the flock of sheep would erase, they would stomp on the footsteps of, of Abdullah, the son of Abu Bakr, you know, to erase his footsteps so no one would know that Abdullah goes to that cave on a daily basis for three days. Right? And despite the fact that all this happened, despite the fact that all this happened, the people of Mecca hired an expert scout. A tracer, basically, someone who could trace uh, the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr, and could find because they know they they're not on their they they, they figured out that they're not on their way to Medina in the normal route using the common route or the known route. No, they actually know that there's something going on. There's a plan going on, and that's why they hired a scout. And the scout was so good, he was from outside of Mecca. And the scout was so good that he was actually able to trace the footsteps of the camels. In a very way, even though, again, like we said, they were erasing and everything. But he was that good that he found that he led the, the, tribe, uh, the, the, the tribe of Quraysh. He led Mecca to actually the mountain where the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr were you know, hiding. And they were inside that crack within that mountain. And despite, you know, all this, he, he, subhanAllah, it was Allah's will that, you know, to show you that Allah is the only protector. We'll, we'll see how in a second. So again, all the people of Mecca gathered their troops. They went straight to that mountain. Because the guy said, well, there, I think that all the traces lead to here, but I can't help you any further. Now, they went there, right? And then they noticed now they gather all the troops, you know, a mini army basically, and then they went straight to the mountain. And then Abu Bakr saw them when they came close. So they started climbing the mountain. Again, the crack is in the middle of the mountain. And if they uh, looked inside that crack, they would have found them. There's no hiding spot within that crack, they would have been exposed. And Abu Bakr noticed that they're looking for them, and he was terrified, you know. And he panicked and he said to the Prophet ﷺ that they will find us. And the Prophet ﷺ in a very calm way responded with the famous phrase, Oh Abu Bakr, what do you think will happen to two people whose Allah is their third? Look at this profound phrase that is filled with Iman and faith. 
in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do you think is going to happen to two people who has Allah as their third? Nothing will happen to them. They will be protected. Now, some scholars, they say that also one of Allah's miracles, so they never looked into the mountain. They never even considered that crack within in the mountain that they will be hiding there. And this is for a miracle, of course, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had uh, made. But uh, some, and, and there's a lot of scholars who say that, you know, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a pigeon that it was laying down its eggs by the entrance of that crack, of that little cave. And the entrance of that crack or the entrance of that cave was uh, had a spider web. So there was a spider that had its web around. So they said to themselves, well, if, if, if there's a spider web there, that means nobody got in there because you know it takes days to fill in all that crack with spider web and if there is a bird that's laying down its eggs and it didn't fly that means there is nobody there now we don't know how authentic this exact uh, uh situation with the spider and and and, and the birds there's a difference in, of, of opinion that whether it happened or not but i mean it doesn't affect the story that allah protected them not uh, you know nonetheless allah protected them they couldn't see inside they did not even think about looking inside the cave for simply because Allah willed it that they wouldn't look inside the cave. And now we don't know if it was because, you know, Allah made the spider and, and, and that pigeon uh, sit there by the entrance or this Allah period didn't, you know, uh, let them look inside. We don't know. But again, it doesn't hurt to say that story because there is, again, a difference of opinion on whether it happened or not. Now, the people of Mecca placed a bounty of 100 camels. On the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr, they said whoever brings us uh, Muhammad and Abu Bakr will have a hundred camels. Now, a hundred camels is literally like in our in our time, it, it's equal to a hundred cars. So yeah, that was a big deal. It was a huge bounty, right? And, uh, and uh, there was a tribe outside of Mecca. The leader was called Suraqa ibn Malik. Suraqa, we'll call him Suraqa, who heard about the bounty. And he wanted to capture them, you know, to take the bounty, basically, right? Now, uh, uh, Suraqa did not know the Prophet ﷺ nor Abu Bakr. He had no problem with them. He had no personal issue with them. He was not opposing their message. All he wanted was the bounty. That's all. All he wanted was the bounty. He did not care about any of the cause, right? And one day, someone... Now, uh, what happened is, after this whole, you know, cave incident... After the three days uh, passed, Abu Bakr uh, and the Prophet ﷺ met with a guide from you know uh, a faraway tribe who guided them to Medina, who took him to Medina from a path that it's basically a secret path. So he took like certain shortcuts uh, that n normal people wouldn't take, right, to get them to you know uh, the path of Medina. So on their way, one of the tribe of Suraqa saw them and he went uh, to Suraqa, he went back to his tribe basically and he told Suraqa, I, I think I saw Muhammad and Abu Bakr, those two people that, you know, there's a hundred camels bounty uh, on their heads. I saw them. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw them. And to that Suraqa said, no, 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 no. 
I don't think you saw uh, Muhammad and Abu Bakr. I think we saw our two people from our tribes that actually gave him permission to go, you know, run some errands and they went through that way. So I, I don't think you're right. Now, Suraka did what he did as a misdirection because he wanted the bounty for himself. He did not want that guy from his tribe, that person who saw them, to take, you know, the, the, the 100 camels. He wanted it for himself. So, you know, he said, no worries, don't worry about it, whatever, just sit down. And, and then he pretended that he's going home and he got on his horse and started sprinting towards, you know, that location. Now, Suraka eventually caught up to the Prophet and uh, Abu Bakr. And when he saw them from a far distance, his horse sunk into the sand. Suraka's horse, he saw them from a distance and he was going, you know, after them. And then his horse sunk into the sand and stopped running and threw Suraka over its back into the sand. You know, it's like stopped all of a sudden. So Suraka fell from the back of the horse into the sand. Then he got back on his horse and continued approaching the Prophet wasallam. And when he, when he got a little closer, the horse did the same exact thing. It sunk into the sand. It basically dropped Suraka into the sand. Suraka got back on the horse and he continued. And then when he got a little bit more closer, the horse did the same thing for a third time. But this time it was way more violent than the ones before. And at this moment, he realized that the Prophet ﷺ was protected by a force beyond him. He said, this, this man is protected by an unnatural force. The horse doesn't want to get close to him. So Suraka called out our Prophet and Abu Bakr. He yelled like, you know, calling them and told them that he's not going to harm them and that he needs a permission to come close to them. Look at the difference. <laughs> Subhanallah, look at the situation. So like he was going to attack them, to capture them, to get, you know, the bounty. Now he's asking for permission to come close to them. And then when the permission was given, he asked our Prophet for protection. Wait, what? What do you mean? He said that when Islam, look at Suraka, very smart, very intelligent. When you went over your people, he's basically saying when Islam expands, because he knows, Suraka by now knows that this guy is not a normal human being. He's not a normal human being. Whatever this man is on, it will win. He will be victorious. So he's telling him, when you become victorious, I need you to not harm me and my tribe. So when the time comes that your that Islam will conquer, right, other tribes, do I need protection, I need peace from you. And the Prophet ﷺ actually made that agreement, agreed to that. He said, okay, so I will let you be, I'm not even going to, you know, I'm going to go back, I'm not going to say a single thing, but in return, I need uh, your protection when the time comes. They, and they wrote it in like some sort of like a parchment letter, right? And, you know, Suraka read it because the Prophet doesn't know how to read uh, or write, right? And uh, Suraka uh, wrote it and basically wrote that the Prophet you know, agreed to this uh, and wrote the words of agreement. Basically, this, he, he, the Prophet told him what to write in terms of like, you know, uh, the agreement. And uh, again, he knew that the message of the Prophet will be successfully spread because this man is not normal. Then Suraka offered them food. He said, do you guys want food? Do you see the, the subhanAllah, like this man saw a sign that this guy is not normal. And his attitude completely changed. And now he's offering them food, but the Prophet said, 
uh, thank you. He politely refused and he said, we already have food. Uh, uh, you know, um, thank you uh, for that. And uh, uh, Abu Bakr told Suraka to cover up for them. He said, you know, mislead. Uh, if somebody comes and asks you, just mislead them or, you know, show them, uh, show them, you know, a different, uh, a different route or whatever. Just cover up for us, basically. And Suraka agreed. Then Suraka is about to leave when our Prophet ﷺ told him this. Hear this out. He said, O Suraka, how will you feel when you put the bracelets of Kisra in your hands, basically, in your arms? Now, Kisra is the emperor of Persia at the time. And he was known to be like, you know, a powerful king and whatnot. So Suraka didn't understand what that. What did that mean? What do you mean the bracelets of Kisra? You mean like wear his bracelets? And the Prophet smiled and did not respond. Now Kisra, again, he was known to be a very powerful king the king, uh, or emperor. He was the emperor of, of, of Persia. And uh, uh, he was known to be wearing lots of jewelry. Like if you guys saw the 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 movie Three Hundred, uh, you would see that the emperor of of Persia actually wears tons of jewelries, right? And this is actually coming from you know a true uh, story that Kisra used to love wearing jewelries. And then few years later, now let's I want to tell you the story of Suraka because it's very very powerful. Few years later, the Muslims actually conquered the tribe of Suraka. So he took that letter, remember the protection letter, he took it and showed it to our Prophet ﷺ and he said, remember, O Prophet of Allah, a couple of years ago, uh, 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 I saw you, we, we had this exchange and you promised me protection. And the Prophet ﷺ recognized the letter and recognized Suraka and he given him full protection. Later on, Suraka accepted Islam and became a famous companion. Do you see this? Subhanallah. Many of the famous companions actually had bad intentions toward the Prophet ﷺ until they were exposed to the truth and their lives changed. So he becomes a very famous companion of the Prophet ﷺ and he lived in Medina with the Prophet ﷺ and the rest of the companions. Then later on after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, actually seven years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ and under the ruling of Umar ibn al-Khattab, remember we said Umar ibn al-Khattab ruled the Muslims. Uh, now after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr Siddiq ruled the Muslims, then Umar ibn al-Khattab ruled the Muslims, right? And then in the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab as the leader of the Muslims, they fought against the Persians and they won. The Muslims won the war against the Persians and since then the imp the, uh, the Persian Empire basically collapsed and all the treasures and jewelry of Kisra were sent to Umar ibn al-Khattab. Then when the, 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 the jewelry and, uh, and, and the treasures of Kisra were presented in front of Umar ibn al-Khattab, Umar says what? Someone calls Suraka. Where is he? Call him for me. I want Suraka right now. So people go and, and, and call for Suraka. Suraka comes in and Omar looks for the bracelets of Kisra. You know, it, within this insane amount of jewelry, right? And he takes him out and puts them himself in the hands of Suraka. Exactly how our Prophet ﷺ predicted. And they said, these are yours. An incredible, incredible and powerful uh, uh, situation that happened Subhanallah And it shows you That the Prophet Knows the future 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, of course he doesn't know all the future, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows him to see certain things that, you know, and this, this many incidents actually, like he predicted the death of a lot of people in a certain way, uh, and he predicted a lot of things that happened, uh, you know, to a lot of people that happened exactly the same way he said it, because he is our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he is uh, uh, the final messenger from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the guide, you know, they continue uh, traveling, and then the guide basically... Uh, Send them to where they want uh, so they could get easily to Medina. And this is exactly what happens. Uh, uh, Abu Bakr uh, and our Prophet, وسلم, they reach Medina safely. And a new era uh, starts from that moment on uh, the, 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 the Madani era or what we call the era of Medina for the Muslims, where different types of challenges will face the Muslims, but at the same time, the uh, uh, the uh, Muslim government will flourish and will expand from this point on and a lot of things will happen that we will talk about inshallah thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh